365 Success app offers a simple daily tip for a more balanced life. 365 Success is a one-year plan over six levels where a new tip is displayed each day. The people behind 365 Success are academic and creative life hackers Dr. Nisha O'Reilly, Dr. Graham Hughes and Marie O'Riordan. Discover 365 Success, available now in the App Store. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Purple Psychology. I'm Maria Reardon. Dr. Nisha O'Reilly, welcome. Thank you. We're going to start off with pet hates. Yes, so we've talked a bit about productivity, we've talked about our older clients, we've talked a lot about little people and various conditions, we talked about sport in the last episode. Um, one of my pet hates of psychology and psychologists is that I meet so many students who sat down with other people and they've had such a bad experience. So people sit down with a sort of a crib sheet and they tick off boxes and everything that they do during the session is recorded and it's very obvious to the students that it's being recorded and it makes them feel very uncomfortable and it always gives a huge amount of attention to maybe to negative behaviours or patterns that you'd like to change. Um, and so I'm far more observational. It's a bit like it doesn't matter if I'm looking at a horse in a parade ring or sitting down with a five-year-old. Hence, observational scientist. Yes. Um, so I'm inclined to sit back, take it all in, be not too obvious about what I pick up on, make a massive effort not to be judgmental, which is really important because everybody that comes to me, they're the way they are. I'm not particularly trying to change them. I'm not trying to fix them. I'm just trying to draw the best out of them. And I may be trying to stop some of the negative patterns that are happening, like if they're not going to school or if they have a massive amount of anxiety um, which the anxiety can come across in a whole load of different ways. Or, you know, we've talked about really destructive and, and terrifying patterns of, of self-harm, you know, very, very negative situations. So you're trying, to, you're trying to change that. But what I don't want to sit there and do is take off everything that you can't do really obviously and give you a score for it and compare it to something else and for you to come away from the session feeling like, oh, I can't do anything. And one of the most shocking things for me, and I know this happens, is, is that there's one condition quite often ticked off by psychology because the schools will get more resource errors if that condition is ticked rather than another condition. And that's a, quite a shocking thing to do to somebody between 13 and 15. Not only that, but they're left with that stigma of that misdiagnosis for life. Yes, it's it's a big deal. It's not always taken positively. Um, there can be, the, the, you know, some people take it as a sense of a relief of, oh, oh now I know what's wrong with me, um, which I don't find particularly positive either. But, you know, but at that stage, they're just so relieved for someone to, to tell them something. Um, so I'm inclined to be far more observational, um, far more relaxed about it, and definitely not judgmental. And I'm trying to see, for me, I'm assuming a complexity with people. I'm assuming that they're like onions, that there's multiple layers to them, that the layers can affect each other and that it matters what order you peel them back in on what you work on. I remember something from a couple of years ago and you were making some suggestions for a government to change the way they are grading papers in schools and there was an announcement today in this country that it's actually going to change. 
Yes, we we were drawn in um, by quite a few students um, over a couple of years to go back to the schools and actually look at their exam scripts and look at it with the teaching team who had been supporting them. And the reason for this, because the system, there's been a lot of changes even since I sat my Leaving Cert. Before, I, I wouldn't have had access to my papers and I would have got, wouldn't have got to sit down with somebody else. So something positive that had happened was that you did have access to your papers for specific days back in your school and you could bring in whoever to look at them with you. So that might be a teacher within your school you choose or somebody external so we went and supported people and we would say yes it's worth um having it rechecked you know that you're very close to the marks here and what we saw was that a lot of people were being left on borderline marks and um, and from my experience of third level i actually set up um, a system at third level to make sure that there was a lot of quality assurance it would check what the mean scores what the average scores were for those particular papers or for those questions and it would compare them and it would make sure that people weren't left on borderline grades because that was massive in college because it's the difference between you may be getting a 2-2 degree or a 2-1 or a first or a distinction for your dissertation so it's very important to make sure that you you had a distinct category that someone went into. So you set up the system for a university? Yeah, I set up the system for a university. It was completely computer-based. It was um, it was tagged onto the Excel spreadsheets um, in the system so that as the examiners filled out the actual grades for each paper, um, it automatically checked all this data and read it back into the system. And you could see if there was anything funny happening. And you could certainly see whether there was people left on borderline grades. And, you know, it, you, there has to be quality insurance. And in those cases, like in university, you have one person correcting a paper. Um, there's a lot less people. Um, there is an exam board that has to sit down and sign off in every exam. But what was happening in state exams in this country is that there's a lot more people correcting the paper. Um, there certainly wasn't the sort of quality assurance. People were being left on borderline grades. Nobody was particularly thinking about that. And you certainly didn't have to sit down with the exam board and sign off, you know, 70,000 people having sat in a state exam. So it, it was it was very unfair. And there was actually, there was, um, I think there was 14 grade categories that you could fit into, which meant that there was very little difference between certain grade bands, whereas now they're reducing that to eight grade bands. So the grade band is larger and it's more distinct. And certainly you will still have to be a very good student to get the equivalent of an A. But similarly, you have more chance of getting more attempt marks and falling into a band further down. And, you know, there's you're more likely to sit an honours paper and go for it because you're less afraid of being left on a borderline of failing the exam. So, so yes, yeah, so that's an aside topical piece that, that's just happened this week that, I, that, I, that I'm very enthusiastic about. And I think there is a sense of people wanting people to go for papers and to go for higher papers and to try exams and to not be so fearful. I wanted to mention it because it was just in the news today. One of the areas, actually, that I've seen that this makes a massive effect on is talking babies. So I've worked with um, a number of people at this stage between the ages of two and five who've not been talking. And a lot of the conventional reasons that you just tick off on a form and a lot of the conventional diagnosis or the clatter of diagnosis that they've been given hasn't really got to the root of the problem and it hasn't given practical exercises for parents to do with their children. Um, and it's been, it's been really interesting for me because I've managed to give them very small changes to do and certainly only 10 minutes a day in their home and they've started talking, which I think is amazing. That must be really rewarding with people so young. 
Yeah, it's great because being able to talk is huge. Being able to write is pretty massive, but being able to talk is even bigger. So let's skip on from the two to five-year-olds. What's important when you're 10? For me, this is a bit like BC and AD, you know, uh, you know, before 10 is crucial. Between 7 and 10 is massive. Um, there's a sense of when you're 10, you realise you're different. So whatever challenges are happening for you, if we haven't managed to tackle them reasonably up until then, you're really going to see the effects of it. What's amazing is that not only when you want to help someone do something that they're really bad at, like writing and reading and so on, if you, go, if you play games with them and regress them back a few years... Um, to their childhood they're far more willing to try it out and to make mistakes and to move much further on but also if you do this when you do adult workshops if you take people back to their ch childhood you will get much better results in the workshop as well it's fascinating it's not rocket science no it's not so we've covered babies 10 year olds and state exam students that's episode nine of purple psychology i'm maria reardon dr nisha o'reilly thank you so much thank you 365 Success app offers a simple daily tip for a more balanced life. 365 Success is a one-year plan over six levels where a new tip is displayed each day. The people behind 365 Success are academic and creative life hackers Dr. Nisha O'Reilly, Dr. Graham Hughes and Marie O'Reardon. Discover 365 Success, available now in the App Store.